The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm Dave Cornoyer, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on March 8th, 2021, and I'm joined today by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, Adam. Hey, Dave. How's it going? I'm, t- I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, this is this is our 70th episode. Wow. 70 episodes. That's yeah. that's a milestone. That's uh we should have a birthday cake or something. Only yeah. we're not doing this in person because <laughs> I think I think a year ago, actually, you know what? I think I was looking on on uh on Instagram and I think it was like a year right around a year ago today was the last time we recorded an, a, an episode in person and it was with uh, Elaine Hishka. I remember and she that. was on talking about um uh safe consumption sites. We, and, we, did uh, and that here, we did that here at my house. Yeah. And I was, I was excited because like this, my wife and I had moved into this house like three months before that or six, six months or so before that. And, uh, and right around that time, our basement had flooded as well. <laughs> no, I forgot. I forgot about that. That's the worst. It was terrible. This uh, whole well, year, Dave. Yeah. Well, it started off like that, right? So how your basement's fixed now, I assume. Totally fixed. Everything's perfect. Fine. Just like new. No Great. worries. Yeah. Great. Well, well, hopefully it won't be another year uh, before we record in person because, uh, you know, it'd be nice to uh, to get out of my basement once in a while. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> me too. It would be nice for me to get out of your basement. You don't know I'm there, but I'm there. A- Adam, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> He's calling from inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> so echoey. It's weird. So today um, we are... Uh, well, we got we got a lot. There's a lot of stuff that's happened since our last uh, our last episode. We had a great episode with uh, Danny Parody and Chris Henderson came on and talked about. We talked about municipal, mostly municipal affairs, municipal uh, municipal politics, the upcoming municipal election, and we got a lot of great uh, listener feedback from that. Um, and uh, yeah, huge thanks to Danny and Chris for joining us. We're uh, I think we I think we should probably have them back on before the municipal election uh, yeah. to talk about it because I, I felt like we covered a lot of ground, and uh, they're both. Uh, they both have a real, uh, a real depth of knowledge about municipal issues uh, in, in uh, mostly in Edmonton, but in Alberta uh, across the province. Well, and I mean, we know that this municipal election is going to involve a lot of provincial referenda, I guess. So, yep. so it's relevant for the Dave Berta audience. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, and we can't forget the uh, the Senate nominee election as well, which is always a favorite <laughs> topic on 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 the on this election on this uh, on this podcast. Um, which I have to say, uh, a couple episodes ago, I'm just thinking about like the past couple episodes we've recorded. A couple episodes ago, we had Senator Paula Simons on on the episode, and I felt like I I uh, we we talked very briefly about senate elections and the upcoming senate well, actually we didn't talk very briefly uh senator uh simons gave like a very deep a very very thoughtful uh response to my question about senate elections and senate nominee elections uh that are that are going to be held in the fall but i i feel like i i kind of and i i do this i feel like i kind of dis- just dismiss the senate nominee election because of, while i do think it's a sideshow uh and it's i mean it's politically motivated and it's not really part of the system um and and I think it's 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 you know because most of the most of the parties aren't participating. It's mostly just a conservative, uh, a race among conservatives. I, I was corrected, but I wasn't. I don't know if it was corrected, but but uh, a friend of mine texted me after after the episode and mentioned that you know I shouldn't just dismiss it. And I thought the point was the, his his point was correct with that, even though it is kind of a you know it is kind of a political sideshow. 
you know, eventually Canadians will probably elect another federal conservative government at some point. And when they do, um, if you look back to previous federal conservative governments, they're probably going to look at the pool of Senate nominee candidates who have been elected um, in, in Alberta's Senate nominee elections, and they're very likely going to choose them and select them to to uh, to appoint to the Senate. So, you know, while it is kind of a sideshow and it is politically mo politically motivated um, effort, uh, it uh, you know it, these people who are running for the Senate nominee elections may actually become senators um, for yeah. you know for a very long period. So it's probably you know I like to joke about it and I like to you know poke fun at it, but it is something that we that you do you should say take seriously. Even if you go and just spoil your ballot, um, I think taking a serious look and, and a serious making a serious critique of the candidates uh, is something that is very important for Albertans to do. So yeah, that's my my serious uh, uh, the more you know. Uh, uh, comment for this, uh, this yeah, segment. It, it would be, it would be maybe like a little, a little snide to say they're not totally irrelevant because like right now it feels like Senate elections are pointless because of a liberal government. But as mm -hmm. you said, when you elect a conservative government, then the, the board changes a little bit. So here's a question for you, Dave. Do you think I've got a better chance of being appointed to the Senate if I, I run, I'm using air quotes here, in, in the Senate election provincially, or I just like try to do what Senator Simons did, which 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 was actually like apply. I wonder I wonder what the quickest path for me to the Senate is. Well, I think it's gonna, you know, I mean, I, as much as uh as I know like the audience of this podcast love you and you know, you have a huge following on Twitter and you're just generally a great guy and you'd be a fantastic senator. Um I think that you probably would have to run under the conservative party banner uh, or a conservative party banner in order, in order to win one of the kind of province wide um, Senate nomination seats that, that, that are going to be up in the fall. Yeah. Um, so you should probably go through like the internet application process. I think, <laughs> I think jobbers handling it. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> just to, just apply on monster.com and you're off. Exactly. Yeah, Senator uh, job uh, tenure till, uh, till 75. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, being a Senator would be fantastic. I mean, it sounds like uh, it'd be a great, you know, what a, what a cool job to have. Um, so yeah, I think you should apply Adam. Okay. Um, but I mean, I, I, and I don't mean this personally when I say it, to, uh, I mean, I don't mean it specifically about you, but I do think we probably need, need less white guys in, uh, I, I agree. I totally yeah. agree. So, well, uh, I mean, so, good luck, but, um, you know, <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you, you have a lot of opportunity in life. Maybe we just kicked off my Senate campaign, but probably not. <laughs> probably not. R Rosenhart 2021. Um, yeah, I mean, go back and listen to that episode with, with Senator Simons, because she does. One of the interesting points she made was against an elected Senate. And she talks about like the, the reason that that particular chamber exists and it was an argument I actually hadn't heard before put in the way that she argued it. So, mm -hmm. and I know there were a lot of folks we saw leaving comments that are like, that's dumb. Senators should be elected, but she definitely made me think mm -hmm. differently about the Senate. So absolutely. And it was, it, we, she also had a point about abolishing the Senate and that, how that was a, a bad idea. And yeah, anyway, it's a great episode of Dave Berta and you should listen to it. And, and this is the uh, Dave Berta greatest hits episode. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a clip show. This is a clip show for Dave Berta. Um, but one of the, one of the, I love when we do episodes like this, cause it gives me the opportunity to kind of put you into the hot seat a little bit. And one of the big things that happened since our last episode was that the, uh, the UCP 
table the budget. And um, I don't know. I, I know how I feel about it. Uh, and mm -hmm. I know that there are different different sectors across the province that have different feelings about it. But what were your what were your thoughts on, on budget 2021, as Finance Minister Taves put it? Well, it it uh, it definitely was not the fiscal reckoning that Taves had been talking about for months, and uh, Kenny had been talking about it, and but but really Taves had been talking about it, and I've been hearing kind of rumblings in the background um, from different folks at the ledge saying that there was a bit of a a bit of a battle of the wills happening between Taves and Kenny and and several other people in the legislature about how whether the UCP should proceed with like the big fiscal reckoning. Um, uh, big slash and burn budget that they'd had planned to do, planned to implement by this year. Um, and when we saw the budget was tabled, it certainly wasn't a fiscal reckoning. I mean, I think I wrote, I wrote a post and I called it a uh, kinder, gentler budget slashing, budget slashing hand, right? So the the big, massive budget cuts that, you know, the 20% department, departmental cuts that uh, that had been rumored didn't show up or didn't 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 materialize in this. Um, you know, most departments didn't get major cuts. Post-secondary education is a huge exception. Um, the grants and the fund funding to the Department uh, of Advanced Education and the grants to colleges and universities have been slashed hard. I think the University of Alberta got its second year in a row or second or third year in a row. It's had an 11% cut in its grants, um, which is just like devastating for <clears throat> Alberta's you know premier. Uh, research university, a, 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 an institution that just six months ago um, had its first um, Nobel Prize winner, I should say. That's right. So, I mean, even the Nobel Prize can't uh, protect, doesn't seem to be able to protect the University of Alberta from uh, from these these deep budget cuts. Uh, and of course, there were cuts. Um, there were other cuts, but it seemed that uh, that Advanced Ed got the most attention because it was like the most public and the and the deepest. Now, what I what I suspect happened and this is kind of what i wrote in my post um back at the end of february was that the the priorities of albertans had have changed over the since the last election and the last election was you know the ucp really were able to to tap into um a sentiment felt by a lot of albertans uh, and really able to a disgruntlement felt by a lot of Albertans about the 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 state of the state of the province, the state of the economy, the state of the previous government, um, and we saw that in jobs, economy, and pipelines, which was the UCP slogan we saw you know plastered absolutely everywhere during the 2019 election. Now, since COVID started, Albertans' priorities have changed. Um, you know, we you know obviously jobs are still an issue because unemployment is, is high and and there's a lot of uncertainty because of the, the public health crisis and and covid um and the state of the economy and the oil industry and everything um but you know jobs economy and pipelines are no longer the top three uh health is absolutely up there and what we saw was in in the budget was uh, a shift in language a pivot yeah i should say if if if, uh, if i could say uh which may have been like i think one of the first big message pivots that the um, that Kenny's uh, United Conservative Party government has really um, engaged in over the past almost two years since they formed government. So instead of talking about jobs, economy, and pipeline, instead of talking about fiscal reckoning, we all of a sudden saw these purple banners and purple placards on, on podiums and banners behind them and splashy digital ads uh, saying protecting lives and livelihoods. And 
what this is is they're very much trying to change their change their language and change their messaging around um, around they're uh, really really setting the stage for the next two years into the next election. So what we've instead of talking about pipelines, which I mean we, we've talked about this before, the the 1.5 billion dollars at least 1.5 billion dollars lost by the government of Alberta and their investment in the Keystone XL pipeline. I mean they were, weren't talking about pipelines anymore. Um, we saw. Uh, Premier Kenny and Health Minister Tyler Shandro spent the next week uh, after the budget, because typically this is typically what happens is the budget gets tabled and then there's a constituency break right after. So the MLA, MLAs and cabinet ministers in a normal year will fan out across the province and, you know, hand out checks and make big announcements. And it's basically selling the budget to their constituents. Now, it's a little less of that because of the pandemic, the you know, cabinet ministers and MLAs have a little bit of a less ability to hold big public events. Um, but what we saw were Premier Kenny and Health Minister Tyler Shandro, basically sp they spent every day last week talking about healthcare. And hmm. this is their real pivot is they're, they're I mean, they've obviously, after a year, they've recognized that Albertans priorities have changed, and they want to talk about healthcare. Now, I don't necessarily think it's it's incredibly convincing. Um, I mean, this is a. I mean, they say there seems to be a be a detente between the the government and the Alberta Medical Association. But I mean, you know, Tyler Shander is the health minister who uh, you know, <laughs> you know, went to his neighbor the doctor's house to yell at him in his in his driveway about a, a post on Facebook. I mean, this is a government that went to war against doctors. It's been going to war attacking nurses, uh, attacking healthcare workers. I mean, um, you know, they're, they're, they're still moving forward with the plan to lay off uh, 11,000 healthcare workers, more than 700 nurses um, through these, these reports, Ernst & Young report, the McKinnon report. Uh, so they're still moving forward to it, but they want to put a, they're trying to put like a friendlier face on it, basically. They're trying to mm. be, become pro-healthcare, which I think is really interesting because it's, I mean, healthcare is very clearly not the UCP's like safe territory or strong territory. I mean, this is one of those, you know, this is one of, this is one of those things where, um, you know, for right or wrong, conservatives are considered better on the e and economic issues and, you know, new Democrats and liberals are considered better on healthcare and education. And so this is kind of the, it looks like the UCP kind of trying to get in on NDP territory. And I mean, the UCP has bombed in the polls lately. Uh, Premier Jason Kenney's approval rating is in the absolute tank right now. Um, for, I mean, for the economy, for the handling of COVID, for moving forward on all these items in their political agenda in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, while in other provinces, you know, governments seem to have halted a lot of their other political agenda, we have, you know, not only in the middle of, a, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but the government was moving forward on coal development in, in the Eastern slopes, was trying to privatize provincial parks, was, you know, fighting with doctors, was, uh, you know, going all this whole long list of things, attacking universities. Um, so this is, I, I see this as kind of the pivot in terms of this is the way the government is trying to position themselves for the next election. My last point, or my two last point, two last points are um, what I suspect happened was that they, the, the government, you know, the brain, the UCP brain trust decided they could either have massive, you know, a massive service cuts, massive cuts in the budget funding, or they could go after public sector salaries. And what they've decided to do, and this is a key part of the budget, is they're going to be going after public the salaries of and the wages of public sector public sector workers in Alberta. So they, I think they decided they could do one or the other in the current circumstance. And I think that if you know if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, they probably tried would have done done both. And really gone after it both hard, uh, but I think they probably decided they could only go after one and make it palatable for Albertans, and this is what they tried to do. And so they're spending their political capital doing this. But 
what this tells me, and I mean, I strongly suspect that the window is closing on the UCP's ability to do big budget cuts before the next election, because, you know, there's a, there's a cycle, a, you know, a cycle of, of a government's life over the, over the four years. And you really try to get a lot of the more controversial stuff done in the first two years. And you know what, April's coming up, it's going to be two years. And now the UCP is going to be wanting to, is going to want to try to shift into re-election, you know, heading, heading into re-election mode, trying to make peace, trying to, you know, the, be the good guys. I, I have, you know, I wonder the, the sort of, um, this, them leaning into a uh, pro healthcare message. Do you think that the average Albertan voter, if such a person exists, do you think they buy that? Or do you think that, that Albertans have been paying sufficient attention to go, this feels like a cynical play for votes? Well, I think it is a it is a play for votes. I mean, I think there's a few, I mean there's a few things going on. It's it's you know the UCP finally uh, recognizing that the you know the the winds have changed and that they need to change their messaging to reflect that because the messaging that they've been continuing to use since the 2019 election wasn't just what it stopped resonating with Albertans because Albertans' priorities changed. And secondly, uh, I mean, will it work? Uh, I I'm not convinced. I think that if 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 they want to convince Albertans that that healthcare is uh, is one of their key priorities or something that you know that they're 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 friends of healthcare, uh, I mean, I think they need to change what they're doing. But I th um, not just these kind of talking points and press conferences that they're having. I think they need to change their agenda. But I also think they need to change their messenger. Uh, I don't think Tyler Shandro is a convince is convincing anybody that this government is you know is supportive of public healthcare. And I think that because he spent the past two years antagonizing basically everybody. Yeah. And then the other question I guess I have for you, Dave, is knowing that these, this public sector job cuts are coming. Did you, did you state a figure? I'm just trying to remember, was it 15,000 or something like that? Well, in, in healthcare, yeah, in healthcare, it was 11,000 health workers and it was 700, 700, around 750 nurses it would be. So, but, right, but, okay. but, but like 11,000 health workers across the system. And that's like from nurses to laundry services to custodial services to you know rns lpns the whole rr rpns the whole uh, and everything just, in between just folks working in the system do you think if the if the idea is wrap our arms around healthcare we love healthcare but then cut a bunch of jobs <laughs> i guess it's the same question like will albertans forget in 2 years what what happened well, this is all stuff that's coming, right? Like this isn't, this is, in, in, I mean, some, yeah. some of it's happening, but really like a lot of this is still coming. So like they're, you know, they're setting the stage for the next election. So, I mean, well, but, but maybe the, the message, the, you know, the message is we know this is hard. It's almost like Jim Prentice's look in the mirror message. Like we know this is hard. We have to do this. But on the, on the other hand, the, the sort of the Overton window on, attitudes towards debt and deficit has shifted dramatically do do we even care about that stuff anymore or are we more interested in just like prosperous i like i don't know i don't know what the, I, yeah. what the messages but i, I, I mean, don't yeah. think anybody really cares about debt and deficit right now i mean you know the biggest anti-debt and anti-deficit crusader uh is the is the is the, is the premier who just like who's going to lead the province to have the largest debt we've ever had and some of the largest debt like the largest deficits we've ever had so I mean, I don't. I I think that you know we're we're in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crisis. I don't really think that you know, you know, the most conservative cons of conservatives aren't even uh, really uh, at least mainstream conservatives aren't even really you know 
uh, you know, raising raising huge concern about this. I do think going going back to the the thing about public sector salaries, I do think it's the messaging is very interesting. I mean, because I mean, we we saw I think again today, uh, Premier Kenny he had a um, a press conference uh, at a construction site where he was wearing a hard hat and a safety vest and he reiterated this, his comment that you know well you know we have to work with public sector workers and they have to you know be you know we're going to ask them to take a cut and they you know a salary cut and we're going to ask them to you know be part of this you know part of this process of of getting our fiscal house in order and and it's it's all kind of conciliatory now right but i mean they've there's no goodwill there because they spent the past two years attacking public sector workers so instead of spending the past two years saying you know what we're all in this together um you know we, we all have to help fix this problem they've spent the past two years saying um you know you're a bunch of greedy you know greedy lazy workers and uh and if you're not going to lose your job we're going to cut your salary um and 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 t you know tough it out and now they're trying to say well you know come help us and yeah. I, I just don't think I don't think and they're convincing anyway. I think Jason Kenny is the wrong messenger because he spent his entire career um, at basically attacking government, even yeah. though he's been in government, right? I mean, it's one of these one of these things. Yeah. Uh, one one other question I had is is about maybe th this is probably a little too in the weeds, but this protecting lives and livelihoods message that we saw uh, last week on a on using the color purple rather than the typical conservative blue do you think that there, that was a deliberate choice and 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 what does it mean uh, i don't know i don't know i don't know i mean it's you know there's a i'm sure they had a color palette and yeah. uh, well i'm just thinking like I, red I, versus blue kind of thing you know well i mean i think they have to i mean they can't they you know they can't yeah Corey Hogan on the strategists a few weeks ago had this. I've, whole I've bit never, of, never heard he, of that podcast. I've never heard. No. Of that. Yeah. You know what? I think someone, um, pretty new. Uh, uh, yeah, they, um, well, we, you, you remember Zane Velge, right? That uh, sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Zane, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. And he, um, yeah. He, so he hosts this podcast, um, with these two political watchers and they, uh, Okay. They talk about politics and and that color palettes and and they type they talk a lot about the COVID vaccine, and okay. it's getting a little tiring. I I bet you I bet you what they don't talk about a lot is the Alberta Party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> speaking spe speaking speaking of the Alberta Party, they're uh, they're having a uh, a leadership race. Yeah, a long one. A long leadership race that's going until uh, all the way. They have well, it hasn't started yet. I don't think it starts till the summer, and then uh, they're having a leadership vote on Oct I think October twenty third, which is a week after the municipal election. So they are going to be competing for attention um, with absolutely everything with a uh, with the you know every municipal candidate with uh, uh, Senate nominee candidates with an equalization referendum and whatever other referendums, uh, premier Kenny and, uh, and, uh, municipal leaders decide to put on the ballot. So, and, and, uh, we, we actually had a question, uh, a reader or listener, pardon me, uh, wrote in to ask what we thought about the Alberta party leadership race. And if we knew anybody was running, um, I don't know anybody who's running and, um, I don't really have much to say other than I don't really know what direction they're, they're going in. Well, we can we can check off the Alberta Party box from Dave Bertingo <laughs> for this episode again. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about on budget? Because I do have a question about uh, things happening in the city of Lethbridge. Yeah, let's hop over to uh, hop down south to Lethbridge, my uh, 
my favorite Southern Alberta city. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, Lethbridge Lodge, if anybody, uh, if you haven't heard of it, it's uh, my Lethbridge favorite, Lodge. my favorite place to stay in Lethbridge. It's, it's great. It has it's one a- of those like interior courtyards with a pool and a piano yeah. and a bar. And uh, anyway, it's fantastic. And if you, one day you'll be able to go to that bar without, uh, you know, being partitioned by a plastic screen. But yeah. Um, oh yeah. I haven't been there since COVID. That's uh yeah. Yeah, and there's good. Bad. There's a good sushi restaurant. I forget what it's called, but uh, anyway, really good. And good old, good, good old food. Lethbridge. Yeah. But uh, so Shannon Phillips, the former environment minister, she, she she's the energy <clears throat> critic. Who, uh, no, not? she's the finance critic. She's the finance. official opposition finance critic. Yeah. So yeah. Um, MLA for Lethbridge West. And and it was discovered that uh, a few officers in the Lethbridge police were were keeping tabs on her when she was a cabinet minister. Yeah, this is a very disturbing uh, report, and it's not—it's not—it's not a new report. We'd heard some of this last year, and I think it was it last year, or the year before, it started to come out that uh, that at least I think at that that point we felt we just it was reported that there were two officers from the Lethbridge Police Service who had surveilled her um, and uh, um, surveilled uh, her uh, Shannon Phillips while she was Minister of Environment Parks. Um, while she was meeting with environmentalists um, and, and conservationists, a very prominent conservationists and environmentalists in uh, in in restaurants and and different places around around Lethbridge, um, which is like disturbing enough. And but what we found out in a report from CBC that was uh, put out on today, so Monday, uh, was that uh, not only were they not only was was the issue with these two officers, but there were five people in the Lethbridge Police Service who had like accessed her personal records on through the police service and uh that there had, there were other allegations of surveillance and and just like really uh scary uh, scary and like i mean not not just like yeah scary and to- not totally inappropriate but like uh yeah really scary stuff like stuff that police officers and and people who work for the police service just just you know really shouldn't be doing um and it really i mean it's very it's it's very troubling um and it makes you wonder that uh, you know if 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 people who work for these police services are looking up stuff can look up stuff like this for um, government ministers, which I mean I, I would see as a as a as a form of intimidation. Uh, you know what else are they doing? So this is like the, you know I think there's some real like uh, heads need to roll at the, at, the, at uh, the Lethbridge Police Service. Um, yeah, there's. Uh, yeah, they need to clean house. Really, this is—it's totally unacceptable. And uh, I mean, I'm sure it's not the only. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure this doesn't happen in every town, but I'm sure this is not the only time this has ever happened. But yeah, really disturbing. Um, for uh, just across the board, really disturbing. Yeah, unbelievable. And I feel like too often when when issues with with uh, police happen, it, it it kind of like it it never it never gets resolved to the satisfaction of the public. But this this feels like a pretty sinister violation of of you know an elected officials freedom to just be a person a citizen yeah um, well in a real a real abuse of power hugely hugely so so hopefully uh hopefully the the correct heads roll on this one yeah absolutely i would say the dave bird podcast is brought to you by the edmonton community foundation the foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group 
and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. You might also want to check out Vital Signs. It's an annual checkup conducted by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on millennials. You can learn more about everything that Edmonton Community Foundation has to offer at ecfoundation.org. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, which publishes curiosity-driven stories, topical newsletters, and locally-focused podcasts, all in the service of informing Edmontonians about their community. Taproot has launched a project to find out what you want the candidates to be talking about as they compete for your votes in the 2021 municipal election. It's called The People's Agenda. Visit taprootedmonton.ca to indicate what your key issue is. Taproot's team will use these responses to create an agenda that reflects the priorities of the people. This will shape their coverage leading up to the election in October of 2021. This project needs to hear from as many Edmontonians as possible, so add your voice today at taprootedmonton.ca. Do you want to go to our mailbag, Dave? We've got some questions yeah. from listeners. Yeah, so we, uh, right before our last episode, I put out a call for questions. Um, and then we had such a good conversation with our two guests in the last episode that we didn't get to any of our questions. So we have a full mailbag of questions. So we're just going to uh, just like dive in and uh, answer a bunch of questions that you guys sent because there's some pretty good ones in here. Yeah, and we filtered out all the ones that are basically why is Jason Kenny the worst? But uh, yeah, but uh, and we'll try and group them thematically. But let's start with. Our favorite question asker, he's here every time we do mailbag, Mountain Ted. He he says, imagine you're Jason Kenny's advisor. What should he do right now to get out of the hole he dug for himself? And Dave, I guess we'll have to speculate exactly what what hole we're talking about here. What do you think? What do you well, think the question is, is it one big hole or is it many holes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he's like Sideshow Bob in that episode of, of The Simpsons Cape Fear when he keeps stepping on all those rakes. Oh yeah, smacking him in the face. Yeah, did you just remember the name of that episode? I know a ridiculous amount of stuff about The Simpsons. Okay, okay. I need to. I stopped watching in like in like season eleven, so I have like thirty <laughs> seasons to catch up on. It's a lot of TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for the question, Mountain Ted. Always awesome to uh, to read your questions on the podcast. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit about we talked a little bit about it in our intro. Um, there's a lot of armchair quarterbacking going on um i know i've noticed there's there's quite a few um cons- quite a few conservatives have written op-eds in various on various uh in various newspapers and uh and websites about you know what jason kenny should do i thought ken Busenkall wrote a op-ed in the cbc on the cbc website uh, a few months ago that uh, that i thought actually was quite insightful from a conservative perspective and provided some uh some advice for the direction Kenny should go in. And you can kind of see a bit of that what in terms of what they're doing, in terms of their pivoting away from some of these, some of the more controversial issues. Um, what I think, I mean, I, I, I kind of mentioned this already, but honestly, I think one of the things they need to do is a cabinet shuffle. Um, they've not had a, they've not had a major cabinet shuffle in the past two years. I mean, they've done a bit of shuffling around, uh, you know, Doug Schweitzer was moved. Casey Madu was moved. Um, uh, more more recently, Tracy Allard was was removed from from cabinet. <clears throat> excuse me, was removed from cabinet. But there hasn't been like a major major cabinet shuffle. And I mean, I think that that's in order if they really want to change their um change their 
or pivot their message, change their message over the next two years going to the next election, I think they need different messengers because the people who are in these positions, um, I just don't think there's any good faith. And I'm talking, you know, Tyler Shandro in health. I'm talking Adrienne and LaGrange in, in, uh, in education. I'm talking Jason Nixon in environment. I mean, these are people who have basically, you know, been uh, going to war against everybody and every, everybody in those sectors for the past two years. So if, you know, if you want to, build bridges and you want to uh, want to change your message, I think you need to change, you know, you need to start with changing the messenger. I mean, that's like one of the many things they could do. I mean, they could also change their leader, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yes, we are. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Mountain Ted. This next one's from R.D. Travis. Uh, he says, Kenny has had to back off of uh, several big policies due to public outcry. For example, uh, provincial parks and coal leases. Do you think this back and forth continues or is he going to change his strategy going forward? Well, I think that, I mean, yeah, the, the, the parks were like the big, I think the biggest, the first biggest thing that they, uh, that the UCP really backed down on. Um, uh, and then coal leases, which, which was, which was more recent was another kind of, and I think those are kind of both kind of tied in together. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Cause they both, they both play. I mean, there's overlapping overlapping audiences or, or overlapping constituencies in in on on both those issues um yeah i mean i think that they're i th i think they're going to change their messaging whether they train change their and you talk about strategy whether they change their political what, how much they change their political agenda i think is is yet to be seen but they're definitely changing their messaging going forward so they're talking about different things they're going to be you know highlighting talking a lot about healthcare but you know, they're still going to be moving forward with the privatization of surgical services. They're still going to be, you know, moving forward with with, with a, a lot of stuff. So I, I'd say it's yet yet to be seen. But I think they're I think that you know they will drop certain things because what the pandemic did was it uh, it really threw a wrench in the uh, in the gears of their um, their political agenda. Is they had planned to do a whole bunch of stuff this year, um, including big budget cuts that they just didn't get to do. And I, I don't know, I don't know if the, they have, I don't think they have the political capital to do a lot of that stuff in the next two years before the next election. So I think that some of the stuff will probably be pushed to, um, until after the next election, if they get reelected, yeah. some of the more controversial stuff, I think. Oh, uh, and that reelection, uh, maybe depends upon who is the leader of the UCP. So, uh, here's mm -hmm. a question from the Nomi. <clears throat> can, can UCP members call a leadership vote and replace Jason Kenney with another MLA as the premier. This there's, is a, there's a lot going on here, right? Like, yeah. This is a very interesting uh, question because at the 2020 UCP annual general meeting at their convention last year, a resolution was passed that uh, called for a leadership vote process, leadership review process to be implemented. And from what I understand it, uh, the, the mechanism or the wording behind it was that if one third of constituency associations voted, uh, one third of the 87 constituency associations across the province, UCP constituency associations voted to call a leadership review, then a leadership review would be held. Um, I, I'm not sure from what I understand that like the, the process after, after the, that motion was passed at the AGM was that then the, executive or a committee of the party was going to create a process. And I'm not sure from what I understand that hasn't actually worked 
it worked yet, worked out yet. So they don't actually have a process, but the motion has been passed. Now, from what I understand, and I mean, there's been numerous media reports over the past couple of weeks. Um, uh, there's been my, you know, my, my text messages and DMS have been full of, full of comments and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and updates about it is there is a lot of agitating going on both for from a number of UCP constituency presidents and MLAs in the UCP caucus who want to hold a leadership review. And part of it is, I mean, they're unhappy with, they're unhappy with Kenny. They're worried about, <clears throat> excuse me, they're worried about their prospects in the next election. And, um, you know, they're looking at his approval ratings and it, you know, two years is going to move, is going to move pretty fast. That said, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't necessarily know. I'm, I'm not saying don't count, don't count Jason Kenny out is what mm -hmm. I, what I, he's good in a fight. Yeah. You know, he's, he's like, he's, he's a, he's a fighting politician and he's, you know, when, when he's attacking his opponent is when he's at his, you know, yep. at his strongest usually. Um, so I, I wouldn't count him out, but, uh, but I think he's definitely on, on, on weak ground and I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to predict that he's going to be the UCP leader going into the next election, um, but he might be, but he might not. Um, hmm. you're, yeah. you're not saying either way. You're not. You're not willing to make that call. No. Well, I mean, actually, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I think, that, I think there's a strong possibility he won't be the next, won't be the leader of the UCP going into the next election. But I'm not counting him out. Does yeah. that make sense? I'm hedging my bet. Is what I'm doing. You're doing what the UCP is doing on healthcare right now. Uh, yeah, but I'm not trying to burn it down. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that question. Uh, the Nomi. Uh, this is an interesting sort of like, um, I guess, legislative procedural question from TyGuy80. TyGuy asks, why is the government continuing the last legislative session instead of starting with a new throne speech? So that is a, doing that? Yeah, that's a good question. So the government, so the legislature returned um, at the end of February for the budget. And typically what happens is uh, when the legislature returns for a spring session, uh, there's a new, there's a speech from the throne. And, um, for people who watch the legislature, legislature, you know, that's the, that is the, uh, beginning of the new session of the legislature and the left-handed governor comes into the legislature and delivers a speech written by, written by someone in, in the government, in the premier's office. And basically, um, presents and announces the government's agenda for the next session of the legislature. Uh, what happened in this this uh, this session when it started, or when when the legislature returned uh, at the end of February, was there was no speech from the throne. Uh, there was simply a budget that was tabled, and and a number of you usually see um, in the spring when a spring session starts, there's a throne speech, and then either the next day or a couple week couple days later or a week couple weeks later, there's uh, there's the budget that's tabled. And and from what I understand, from what I recall, Alberta's budget legislation requires the budget to be tabled in the legislature before the end of February. So this was basically the last opportunity that the government had to table, um, to table the budget before before March. Um, why there wasn't a throne speech? I mean, I think that there was probably a decision made that it wasn't the right time to uh, you know to to indulge in the kind of pomp and ceremony of a throne speech, um, and it might have been might have just been a distraction. Yeah, but so, no, I mean, no, like. There's no procedural reason why they wouldn't sort of hit the reset button on the next session kind of thing. No. And you know, it's, it's not like, it's not, I mean, it's not, I don't want to say it's not uncommon. It's it, we've had sessions before that have gone over um, into the next year. And so basically this is just a continuation of the previous session of the legislature. 
So it happens. It's it's happened before under when Allison one of the years or one of the two years or so when Allison Redford was premier, they uh, they didn't have a throne speech and they just continued the session in. So what this means is that the bills that were from from a procedural standpoint, um, what this means is that the bills that were in the legislature last year that didn't get passed, if a throne speech were held and a new session of the legislature were called was called, all those bills that didn't pass from last year would just die on the order paper. And a new session would, and it'd be a blank slate and a new session would start. What this means is that bills that were left over from the last session, um, and there were a few, I think there were a few private members bills, uh, they would just continue in this session. And the bill numbers, so you wouldn't have bill one, would be bill the first bill introduced you know, it, when um, when the legislature returns, um, uh, uh, well, it's what returned today. Um, I think it returned today. Uh, the first bill to be introduced wouldn't be Bill One; it would be Bill, you know, fifty or Bill Thirty or wh whatever we're at right now. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that question, yeah. Ty Guy. Interesting. Great one. question. Uh, this one from Matt Schneider: uh, The UCP keep hitting municipalities with higher costs while shaming them for discussing tax increases. In addition, rural municipalities are owed huge amounts by oil companies. What does this mean for the upcoming, presumably, municipal elections? Well, I think that, I mean, this will be, I think those will be issues in the upcoming municipal elections, especially in rural Alberta. Um, I mean, there are some really rural municipalities that have been hit. I mean, not only have they been, been hit hard by unemployment because of the, the drop in the international price of oil and, uh, and the loss of jobs, but they've also been hit in, uh, in terms of, uh, these, uh, oil companies, um, oil and gas companies not paying their, uh, not paying their municipal taxes. And I know there are some municipalities that are out like millions of dollars in terms of annual revenue, which is huge for, especially so, I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of money regardless of, you know, what municipality, but for some of these rural municipalities that, you know, they don't have a huge population base. And aside from, in some cases, aside from oil and gas, they don't have a huge industrial base aside from, I mean, aside from agriculture, right? So when these companies either shut down or they go bankrupt or they just leave or they some in some cases they just refuse to pay their taxes, um, that's uh, that you know that that put, puts the uh, rural municipalities on on a you know on a on, on a huge hook in terms of how are they going to pay for the services that their residents rely on? How are they going to yeah? How are they going to and and it's it's a double hit because at the same time the the provincial government is cutting funding and cutting grants for municipal. Uh, municipal services as well. So, I mean, municipalities have to get the funding from somewhere. And I mean, they're kind of being made to look like they're the bad guy because they're um, discussing tax increases, but you know, the money literally has to come from somewhere. And if the, if the, you know, if, if the oil and gas companies aren't paying for paying their taxes, then they, uh, you know, the municipalities have to have some kind of recourse. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see the way municipalities message this in, in the upcoming municipal elections. Cause like, I was my little brother lives in a small town in southern Alberta, and he was saying with with the issues around nurses and doctors, you know, before the pandemic started, there was nothing you could say to most of the residents of that municipality that would make them think that this was the UCP's fault. Mm -hmm. But if this is hitting closer to home, if it's affecting the services they receive in their municipalities, it could be it could be game changing. But we don't know until until these campaigns start running, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Great question, Matt Schneider. And we'll have to, like I said, keep our eye on that. This uh, next one is from Anisha Seth. Anisha says, my understanding is that the UCP is trying to run a bunch of right-wing candidates in municipal elections because they're tired of the progressive city councils in Calgary and Edmonton. 
I think the UCP is putting equalization on that ballot to juice conservative voter turnout. Thoughts on this hypothesis? How do you think that re referendum could alter the outcomes of the municipal elections? We've talked about this, Dave. This is something that yeah. you actually posited some months ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I think the, uh, the, the, I think, I, I think there's a concerted effort or there's an idea that putting, uh, you know, putting equalization on the ballot on, on, a, on, during the municipal election and putting these issues that will appeal to conservative voters will boost, uh, turnout for conservative candidates or boost conservative voters in the, in the municipal election, which traditionally voter, you know, the voting in municipal elections, voter turnout is quite low. It's usually between 30 or 40% in most cases, some cases it's higher. Uh, if it's if usually the top of the ticket kind of mayoral races are, are more competitive. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk about how there's a, uh, an effort to use these, the, the provincial government to, interfere in the municipal election or play a role in the municipal election to boost turnout for conservative candidates. Will that actually work? I don't know. I mean, when, when I first talked about this, it was, you know, we, this was probably two years ago when they first started, first started talking about this. Um, you know, things have changed and uh, people's priorities have changed. And I'm not sure that the, I'm not sure they're the, I don't, I'm not sure Albertans are in the mood, same mood for an equalization referendum in March, 2021, than that they were in October or November, 2019, when the Trudeau liberals had just been reelected in Ottawa. And um, so I, I don't know, like I, in some ways it feels like the, the provincial government is kind of playing, uh, they're playing on a, they're, they're, they're playing on a playbook that, that existed a couple of years ago. Uh, and I'm, so I'm not sure how, I don't know. I, I I struggle with this one because I don't know how I don't know how how engaged Albertans are going to be in in an equalization referendum. I don't think it's a big priority for people. I mean, people have opinions on it, absolutely. But will um, it drive them to the polls? Though will like, it drive them to the polls? And I mean, people vote in people vote very differently in municipal elections than they do in provincial elections. I mean, yeah, there are people who you know they're UCP partisans or they're NDP partisans, and they'll vote for the you know across the board on for NDP or UCP and they'll vote for their conservative municipal candidate or conservative, you know, NDP municipal candidate. But I think in a lot of cases, people look at municipal elections a lot differently because they're, they are, you know, it's personality based. It's not, people aren't running on, on a party ballot, on a party a ticket, they're running on, you know, their own name. So mm -hmm. what, what, I mean, I think what the fear is, is that there's going to be, um, you know, that they are, the UCP is going to support, I mean, not, maybe not officially, but, but, it, but, um, you know, organizationally, um, encourage conservative candidates to run, um, for municipal, uh, municipal councils in Calgary and Edmonton, which it's interesting because like partisan conservatives have in, you know, they haven't, they, they, they do really well provincially. They do really well federally in Alberta, but municipally is usually is traditionally kind of where more progressives end up getting elected in this province. Which is yeah. which is always kind of interesting. Again, I mean, I, I think the municipal elections are going to be really interesting this year for all of the reasons our question askers are giving us. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, and like what the what the what the big issues are going to be. I mean, that's the question. Is like I don't know what the I don't. I mean, how you, how you we talked about in the last uh, in the last podcast is you know you have a lot of candidates coming out and declaring themselves running for mayor and running for city council. And that's great, but like 
like what are the big issues going to be in in uh, in October 2021 and uh, you know like yeah anyway it's interesting that's a great question though that's a great yeah 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 that's a good one thanks Anisha uh this this next one is from Brad Carpenter Brad says I'm hoping you might be able to answer this trivia question about Alberta's political history You've come to the right place, Brad. Uh-huh. So Brad asks, which Alberta premier and which Alberta governing political party has had the lowest approval rating in Alberta's history? Now, I can see through the screen here, Dave is searching his vast <laughs> database. You know, I, I the, the funny thing is, I don't I don't actually this is a fan this is a great question first I should say. It is a it is a it's a great question and I wish um I'd had polling going back like really far back because you can see like there are um there are periods where it's like very clear that like a political leader has you know their 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 approval rating is in the tank i mean right now jason kenny's approval rating is very low allison redford had you know by the time right before she'd resigned as premier um in i think it was 2014 uh her approval rating was abysmal um, but I'm going to, I'm going to make, a, make a theory, um, that I think that, and I don't have any polling data to back this up and I don't even know if there were, there was polling data going back this far or, you know, good pub polling data going back this far. Um, but I would, I would, so I suspect that probably the, the most unpopular or what was the, the wording of the question was, uh, which Alberta premier and governing party has had the lowest approval rating. I would probably say um, the United Farmers of Alberta and Premier Richard Reed in about 1934 or, uh, you know, October 1930 or October, not October, um, it'd be July 1935. And this was right before. So the United Farmers of Alberta had been in government since 1921 when they defeated the the liberal party and going into the 1935 election it was the great depression um it you know i don't have to talk about how much the great depression sucked it was awful for for most people um across the board the uc uf uh ufa government had been caught in a number of huge scandals um uh the previous premier not richard reed but the previous premier john brownlee had actually been caught in a sex scandal um and then there's whole but there had been this like scandal with the speaker of the legislature and the lieutenant governor's like sergeant at arms had had like a wife swapping uh, arrangement and it became a huge scandal and actually the speaker of the legislature at the time and i can't recall his name off the top of my head he actually got into a fist fight with the the publisher of the edmonton journal on the steps on the steps of the rotunda and the, like on the top of the steps in the rotunda in the legislature and i guess he just like decked him um because like the journal had been was that the journal of the bulletin um but he, he apparently they got into a fist fight uh so there's like it was just like scandal and scandal and scandal and People were unhappy because of the economy and they're unhappy because of everything. And then, I mean, Alberta being this kind of weird testing ground for strange economic theories that, you know, social credit t- t- took up steam and, uh, and the U- UFA, the United Farmers were just like really on the wrong side of history. And um, I mean, for a number of reasons, um, but they're going into the 1935 election, they lost all their seats. They went from 36 seats to zero seats and they lost like two thirds of their vote. I think they got 11% of the vote in that election. So, Brad, long answer short, um, <laughs> Richard Reed, 
1935 i would i would suspect that's probably the response that's probably the answer um but but if anybody else has anything else i'd be happy to um happy to uh to hear about it you know what we should do one day dave we should do a live pod where people like call in and and try and stump you (laughs) ask you like because like so so i asked dave a question i i don't know what you opened on your computer (laughs) Because I, I I know you were looking yeah, at yeah, something, yeah, yeah. but then then you just rattled off all this stuff that you just know for some <laughs> for some reason. If there were ever an Alberta version of Trivial Pursuit, like I would just I could crush it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I. Uh, yeah. I read a lot, and that's. Uh, I somehow yeah. reti- retain this kind of stuff, but I don't know. I, I find it. I find it so interesting. I. I. Uh, yeah. I just love reading about Alberta's uh, political history, and yeah, questions like that from Brad are. Are, are super interesting and yeah i don't have the uh the exact question but that's basically what i would that would be my my prediction would be you know yeah i mean no one's ever heard of uh of uh i mean forgot his name there you go no one's ever i mean how many people have ever heard of premier richard reed i mean you know not to even lost his seat jeez yeah you think those guys over at the strategist ever talk about that stuff of course they don't <laughs> yeah we we talk about uh about the stuff that matters over here <laughs> I love it. You've got an encyclopedic knowledge about Alberta politics and history, and I know about Simpsons episode titles. So we're, we're hey, perfect, perfect. And you're and you and you're gonna you're gonna run for Senate. So there you yeah. go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, um, we're we're out of time, so I, I'm unable, unfortunately, to ask the last two questions, which are about the Alberta Party. So we'll have to do that another time, Dave. Yeah. Oh, and and but but okay. So not not an Alberta Party thing. Uh, but, uh, uh, the, just two, two other things from parties that, uh, I mean, I don't even know if I'm, why I mentioned this cause it's interesting. The Alberta liberal party, which also has no seats in the legislature, just, uh, uh, they just announced that they are appointed, they appointed an interim leader, John, uh, Rogueveen from Calgary, a, a many time candidate and longtime liberal, uh, liberal party, uh, stalwart. So, right. uh, he's their interim leader. They haven't announced when they're holding their leadership race yet. Um, but you know, we'll see how that goes. And then the uh, the Wildrose Independence Party, the uh, one of the latest separatist parties. Um, Alberta has this like cottage industry of like <laughs> right wing like fringe separatist parties yeah. that uh, that it creates. Um, so there's always like you know three or four separatist parties at any given time in Alberta politics. Um, but yeah, they're holding a uh, they're going to be holding a leadership race over the summer, so that should be interesting uh, as well. So there's a lot of like small party leadership races happening. So. You know, people for people for people like like me. That's just like, uh, you know, bread and butter. Yeah, that's like you, some people go to, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, the name of one of these amazing music concerts. I'm too old. <laughs> I'm too old to think of any of them. Like Coldplay or yeah, no, U2? like like no, like uh, like Woodstock. Yeah, like <laughs> Woodstock. <laughs> Jesus, I'm drawing a blank on all the ones that happen like near Palm Springs and stuff. oh, like Coachella or something. Coachella, or, there you okay, go. yeah, okay. I was trying to think of the one they do in the UK, but uh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, don't worry. I don't about know. It. Was was the were the United Farmers of Alberta there? I don't know. <laughs> Almost certainly not. <laughs> Almost certainly not. Well, that's awesome, Dave. So some leadership contests to watch, and uh, and and uh, you know, folks who have questions about those kinds of things, you can send them into our mailbag. At any yeah. time. Absolutely. We, uh, yeah, we love answering them. Thanks so much, everybody, for sending in your questions. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, 
I think that's basically it for this episode. Um, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, thanks. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks again to our producer here, Adam Rosenhart, the talented Adam Rosenhart for making this podcast sound so great and being the, uh, the, I don't want to say inquisitor, but you know, and you know, this question answer, question, question asker doesn't sound appropriate, but quiz, uh, quiz master, quiz master. Yes. Quiz master, Adam. Thank you, you for, uh, for asking the questions today and making the podcast sound so great. Uh, the Dayberta podcast is a proud member of the Alberta podcast network, locally grown and community supported. Uh, you can send us your feedback on Twitter and Instagram or on the Dayberta Facebook page, and you can email us at podcast at dayberta.ca. And if you want to leave a review where you um, wherever you download the podcast, we uh, we love um, yeah we love reading reviews. And uh, when you uh, give us a five star rating, it definitely uh, helps uh, boost our confidence. And uh, <laughs> so, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys again in a few weeks. Yeah.